for happily. The government of the United States gives to bigotry no sanction, to persecution no assistance. The words of President George Washington. And this is the Guardians of the Republic podcast. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and my co-host is Ian Kahn from the TV series Turn, Washington Spies. On this episode of the podcast, we will talk about the center-back chant and what that means for 2020. We'll also tackle the Warren Democratic movement and what the parties can learn from the Bachelorette in our hot take segment and end with our Guardian of the Week. But first, Patrick, is there any new polling that we should know about? Well, I've got two polls that I want to talk about. Uh, The first one is uh, from the Pew Research Center, which is uh, probably the the foremost one of measuring the pulse of of the American public. And this was on public trust. And it asked a number of really interesting questions. The first one is, has America's trust in the federal government been shrinking? And 75% of Americans say, yes, it has. But Mm -hmm. there's a difference there. Uh, in party. 82% of Democrats say it has, but uh, that compares to 66% of Republicans, still a majority of Republicans, but not quite as, as much as, as with Democrats. And then it asked some really interesting questions that showed where this partisan tribalism is breaking. And that's on partisan gaps on confidence in different political actors. So who do you think is most trusted by, uh, by Republicans? Uh, by Republicans, uh, based on it, I would say that it would be religious leaders. Right, the evangelical core base. So 73% of Republicans say they have confidence in religious leaders compared to 53% of Democrats. Mm-hmm. Now, who do you think Republicans have the least amount of confidence in? Um, <laughs> uh, I, I would uh, guess college professors on this list. <laughs> <laughs> college professors. Yeah, yeah I, I have to point out, yeah, there is a difference there. For 48% of, of Republicans... Uh, say they have confidence in college professors versus 84% of Democrats, right? Mm-hmm. So the liberal, yes. the liberal academia world uh, in which I work, and and yes, it, it oh, is. Oh, but wait, that, also on this list way. is is also on this list is journalists. Yes, so, fake news. Come on, okay, you, you yeah, got to think that, about that. Sorry, the, I missed the, that. Didn't the, get down that the far. Fake news, right? 30% of Republicans have confidence in journalists versus 76% of Democrats who do. That's very um, challenging. So, so that I is, wonder, was that, is that a product, what would that number look like in, let's say, 2012? I mean, I imagine that Republicans have always had a feeling that the, the media was not on their side and that was skewed. Yeah. But I have to imagine that that number might have been in the 50s or even the 40s, but now down all the way to 30%, you'd have to think that President Trump has been really successful in his uh, engagement about this issue. Yeah, I haven't seen a trend line in, in the Pew results. So I'm not sure how far back uh, this question goes. Uh, But, uh, you know, we had attacks on the mainstream media. I remember going back in the 2004 election, the elite Mm -hmm. liberal New York Times. Sure. Um, So this has been building, but I I think I agree with you. I think we wouldn't have seen this stark a difference um, before Donald Trump with that. But there was one other group in here that I thought was really uh, worth uh, taking a look at. And that was government officials. And there are two types of government officials that Pew asked about. One was career government officials. And 71% of Democrats say, I have confidence in those folks versus 
only 48% of Republicans, less than half are Republicans. Well, you would think that that has something to do with, again, with President Trump talking about the FBI. The deep state. Um, it's yeah, the, deep the deep state. state. But right. then when we talk about presidential appointees, and remember, they're not asking about Trump's presidential appointees, just presidential appointees in general. You've got 60% of Republicans who have confidence versus only 28% of Democrats. Wait a second. That doesn't make sense. That feels like that would be somewhat based upon who's in office, that the presidential yeah. appointees of Donald Trump would be 60% for Republicans, 28% for Democrats. But during Obama's time, it feels like those numbers would be swapped. Those, those would have been swapped, um, right. uh, for, or at least for the appointees. The question would it have been swapped for career officials. Probably uh, not. Probably not. Not no. as much. Yeah. No. That, career officials are kind of, kind of uh, Democrats have always seen career officials as the bulwark against uh, the... Uh, the the vagaries of the time. You know, but it also seems interesting time. because the Democrats back in in the early part of the century when Bush was in office, I mean, they were looking at the FBI not as a friend, but certainly as a certainly as a foe. Um, it seems to me, no. Yeah, I think so. So I think that I, I, this this poll does feel like it has a certain amount of time sensitive to it. Um, also, you had another poll that you wanted to mention as well. Right. And this one was uh, released last week uh, by USA Today and Ipsos. And this was about Trump's tweets uh, about the squad. Yep. That's the uh, one that right? I want to talk about. Yeah. Right. And you saw this. You had, you had uh, passed this on to me and I took a, a deeper dive into it. Um, mm -hmm. And this, these, we got to remember, these poll numbers were taken before the North Carolina rally. But after the tweets, so people had known about the tweets and, and so forth. So there are a couple of questions they asked that I thought felt really fascinating. Uh, the first one was, are you proud to be an American? And overall, 80% of Americans say that that's true. But it's 93% of Republicans versus 72 to 74% of Democrats and independents. So significant. And when you say strongly agree, it's 80% of Republicans mm -hmm. versus 57% of independents and 40% of Democrats. I'm surprised the Democratic number is that high even at 72% to say that the, right now that they're proud to be an American. I would have thought that that number would have been around 50%, not that high. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's because of strongly. I mean, there's a second question that they ask, which is, I am proud of America right okay. now. And I think you, you kind of have to peel out the two parts of it. Okay. Are you proud to be an American or are you proud of what America is doing right now? Because if we ask if you are you proud of what America is doing right now, mm -hmm. it's 75% of Republicans versus 29% of Democrats. That's surprising. That's where, too. The, that's where the big gap is. Wait a minute. That's surprising to think that 70, that the number we think of the Republican Party um, very much as being in total lockstep with the president constantly. So even that number is a surprise to me. To you think 75% of Republicans is low? Yeah, I do. Okay. Considering that 93% of them, are, if we say that 88 to 90% of Republicans support President Trump, I mean, would they support something that they're not proud of? Yeah, that's a good question. Is you is know what, what I'm saying? What, what, are they, what, are they, what filter are they looking at this? Yeah, what, what is that? Where does that 18%, how does that 18% then think about America and President Trump? If they're not proud of where they are, why would they be in support of where they are? 
or maybe they're not proud of America because Trump hasn't been able to be as successful as they would hope he would be in that could be draining it. the swamp. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe or that they that that America is being blocked by a Democratic House. Okay, yeah. maybe that's it. But there's there's an interesting number there from ninety three to seventy five. Right. So now now let's get into yeah. the questions that are more directed towards what Trump's tweets were about. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, so please. people that criticize America are un-American which is underlying that. So 17% of Democrats say that's true. 52% of Republicans, a majority of Republicans agree with that statement that people that criticize America are un-American. That's still low. That's still surprising. I would think that that number would be higher. Yeah, well, here's the flip side of it. Is it patriotic to point out where America falls short? 80% of Democrats say, yeah, that's a patriotic thing to do. 68% of Republicans, a majority less of a majority than Democrats and in but line still, with independence. Independents mm-hmm. are at 67%. Say it's yeah, patriotic that, to point out where America falls short. But the And people, then finally, going to the last one about telling minority Americans to go back from where they came from, is that a racist statement? Right. All right. So is that a racist statement? 85% of Democrats, 67% of independents, and 45% of Republicans. 45% of Republicans. So you think that's high, right? I do think that's high. I would think that, you know, you're in, if you're in lockstep with the president, that this shouldn't, this shouldn't push you quite so hard. And certainly not in those numbers, right? Yeah. I, I think that's, that's kind of, it's kind of interesting because well, I think one, the president said that. So when you're, a, when you're, sa- when you're asking this question, it's in the context of the president having said something to the effect of that they should go back to where they came from. Yeah, yeah. And therefore, you're calling the president racist, and you're calling everybody who supports him racist in some way. So, uh, but I guess it hadn't filtered through uh, to the public, because my question is, this was before the North Carolina rally. Mm-hmm. After the North Carolina rally, does do these numbers? Where does change? those numbers go? Yeah, do these, where do, do these the numbers, numbers go among Republicans? Change that do they now? Go up? Yeah, because now it's not just some tweet that the president did that people haven't processed. Now there's a huge chant of that's that's going around with it. And she looks down with contempt on the hardworking Americans, saying that ignorance is pervasive in many parts of this country. And obviously, and importantly, Omar has a history of launching vicious anti-Semitic screeds. I do want to point out something about that clip because, you know, the clip has been making the rounds with the chant and the, ch- the chant comes in full throat after he says something about her um, stand on Israel, mm-hmm. right? But this yes. chant actually starts organically. When, yeah, this one woman. It's when, one right, woman. When it's he says that Omar says ignorance is pervasive in the country. And that's where the chant starts. And you, you can right? also so, see... So they're, they're taking that personally, right? They're saying, she's yeah, calling but, me but ignorant. This, there's a woman out there who's just sort of starting it, right? Yes. And oh, yeah. she's, it's one woman. And she's like, send her back, send her back. And you could see the president have like this slight little twitch in his eye where he's like, ooh, that's pretty good. I like that. Let's see if we can build that. And then he comes in with it so that when it comes again, there's not a sense of surprise about it because he heard it the first time. Right. And you could just see this, again, a little twitch in the eye where he's like, ooh, that that'll work 
you know, he's always up there. He's 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 creating as he goes. He's like almost like a chef. He's like, yeah, a little bit more garlic, a little bit more racism, a little bit more of this, and let's mix it up. And ooh, that tastes great. Let's go with that. Like he did with the uh, Drain the Swamp for uh, three years ago, where he just said it one time and he was like, oh, that really works. I'm gonna stick with that. And you could see it happen in his mind. It's 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 interesting to watch. Yeah, I. But I think what it, the the lessons are for 2020 is that it gets at the core of identity. The sender back chant is about us versus them. Mm-hmm. You know, she right. called us ignorant. She's not like us. They're not like us. We're like send you. Her back. Send her back. We're, we're together all, in our we're tribe. A team. Yes, yeah, against a team. them. Tribe is 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 the operative word here. But you, you mentioned something about you know Trump reaction to this is interesting. And we saw play out something that he does a lot of times when he steps into that kind of situation. And the folks around him, certainly we heard off the record from a number of Republicans that's been reported that they weren't happy with that. Deeply troubled, deeply troubled, deeply troubled. So then we hear, you know, the first, the next morning, Trump kind of trying to backpedal slightly on it, but you you can hear that he's not quite comfortable with that. What I would suggest, uh, you go there, go to North Carolina, and you ask the people, why did they say that? But that's what they said. That's what they did. You'll stop them if they try to do it again. Well, I didn't like that they did it, and I started speaking very quickly. I couldn't. He didn't. I mean, obviously, everyone, it's been well well documented. He didn't start speaking right away. He went into the same sort of um, measured face of the ringleader like he did for a lock Same story. When the question was, so you will stop at the next time, he doesn't answer that question. Right? <laughs> no, he's not going to stop Because he isn't going to stop at that next no. time. But he realizes that there's folks around him saying this wasn't good, this was good. So he's yeah, saying, no. I didn't like it. But then later that afternoon. I'm not happy about when I hear a chant like that. And I've said that and I've said it very strongly. But I will tell you, uh, the congressman and women also have a big obligation in this country and in every country, frankly, but they have a big obligation. And the obligation is to uh, to love your country. There's such hatred. They have such hatred. I've seen statements that they made with such hatred toward our country. What's brilliant about that is he gave himself cover for 24 hours. And just by saying they didn't like the chance gave people like Mitt Ro- Senator Mitt Romney the opportunity to say, well, the president disavowed it, so I'm good with that. And sort of that that gave Romney, at least for 24 hours, gave him a little island that he could stand on. Right. But you heard and, that you heard in that second part in the afternoon. Um, right, I'm not happy with shift. I'm not happy with the chant. But, but here's but, why they're doing it. Here's Let me problem. give you the they're, reason why they're these the people. bigger problem. We're on the, the moral then, high ground. And then, then the, the next, next morning, the next morning. Go. That stadium was packed. It was a record crowd. And I could have filled it 10 times, as you know. Those are incredible people. Those are incredible patriots. And Trump is back. Yes. And please feel free. And what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to stop them? How am I going to stop them? I've already said that I'm not happy with it. They're doing it. What am I going to yeah, do? Well, he, my... well, he's even dropped that now. Uh, you know, by, by the next morning, you know, he even dropped that he wasn't happy with it. Yes, but he has it there. He's already said it. He's on record saying, I'm not right. happy about it. Right. So, so now, he, now can, he can just say, these people are patriots. These are the real patriots. These are the people And he's going to just country. make a face like, oh, well, oh, what can I do? Like you, you're almost waiting to see President Trump roll his eyes, sort of saying, I'm, I'm powerless to, to stop this. I, I've told them not to do this, but they feel so passionately and strongly. And the reason they feel so passionately and strongly about this is because they're right. And we probably should send them. I mean, you know. Yeah, to, exactly. We're, yeah, we're, we're, but that's his mouth. 
But yeah, that yes, and I'm, I don't mean to be putting words in his mouth, and I don't know that that's how he's going to do it. But if we see the past as prologue to what's happening now, and see the past as well, this is how he's he's handled things in the past. It certainly seems that way, and it's interesting to watch President Trump deal with situations like this in Charlottesville, where he's really called to the carpet whenever Ivanka Trump. It was sort of whispered out there that Ivanka Trump spoke out and said, you can't do this. You know, and when he takes that little half step back, he then just pushes forward even stronger the next day. So he he's always true to himself. Yes. And I think what was interesting was the reaction first to the tweets, then to the um, the, the rally itself. Yeah, I thought one of the more interesting reactions was the German chancellor. Angela Merkel, yeah. uh, and this was to the tweets, this was before the rally, where she said, I distance myself firmly from this and I feel solidarity with the women who are attacked. And what she says about America is, is really interesting here. So this is somebody from outside the country who's looking in and saying, people of very different nationalities have contributed to the strength of the American people. So these are comments that run very much counter to this first impression that I have. Uh, this is something that contradicts the strength of America. The firm impression is what she said. She said to this firm impression that I have. And yeah. we talk about this all the time. And the reason why the Guardians of the Republic is the name of the show is because we're out to, to speak about when the fabric of the nation rips right. or when the fabric of the nation is beginning to rip. But it's, it's like that, um, that, that quote that, that from Washington that you read at the top of the show where the government of the United States gives to bigotry no sanction, right? This is Angela Merkel's impression of America. And in that fact, the, what was interesting is where that letter came from, right? Yes. That, that letter was to the Toro Synagogue in Rhode Island, and it was when the Bill of Rights were trying to be passed. It was actually the Third Amendment, which was freedom of the press and freedom of religion. And the first two amendments did not get passed, so it became the First Amendment. And Washington was being political even back then. He got on his horse, he got on his white horse and rode on up to Rhode Island to be sure and then, and then to meet with this organization because he was trying to get past this idea that freedom of religion and freedom of the press were the basis of this nation and that without those that we would just be lambs falling off a hill following each other, which is where we are somewhat in danger of, of falling. Now, just to go back. I, and I to, should say, I've, I visited Toro Synagogue. I don't know, have you ever been up there? I've not, but I'm going to go. It is really, it's a fascinating place. And I, and I remember, this is tw over 20 years ago, but I remember this being part of it. And so this is Washington saying to a Jewish Jew. Jewish community that look you have a place here and the, yes. and, and government that is the has, basis to welcome you that and that's what Angela Merkel choice and think that, of Germany's history yes right and you have Angela Merkel saying this is not the impression I have of America so because now the impression she has is what Washington said the poll that we have here telling minority Americans to go back where they came from is a racist statement as of the time of that question forty five percent of Republicans agree with that. After it goes through the Trump filter, where will that number be? Yeah, will it I, be will it be lower? My guess is it's going to be lower. Will it be, be higher? Because it became part of the tribe. Remember right. that mm -hmm. the chant, my, the sender back right. chant starts when these others are calling my tribe ignorant. They're calling us our tribe ignorant. No, and therefore, yes, they I, do need to go back to where they came from because they're 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 not part of us. So if and, that and, number and, drops, and there, was a, there was another question in that poll, by the way, 
which was people who call others racist usually do so in bad faith. And 70% of Republicans say that's true. So then the, then we will see that that number will go down because it, it's an example of the one would guess that that number will go down. Um, but but if it doesn't, but if it and, and the question is, how far will that go down? And then how much will send her back become acceptable in the Republican Party? You know, when, how, when will it? That's the question about normalization that people were talking about. People yep. are talking about all the time, because by 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 rejecting it, President Trump the day after he he sort of said, no, it's not appropriate. And I was like, oh, OK, but then he brings it back again. And then people aren't going to rally against him again, necessarily, because he's already spoken out about it. That is full on normalization. That's what normalization is, because now it's right. just, well, you know, send her back. Yeah, it's it's part of what we say. It's part of how we feel. How do you think that that's going to affect 2020? Will well, that be enough to send some independents um, away from President Trump in this time? Well, many Republicans are worried about that. That's, I think, you know, underlying uh, part of their off the record discontent with what Trump is doing is they're worried about how could this play out in 2020? How, how could this potentially uh, affect us? I have a feeling, one, that this, this uh, chant is not going away. A lot of people have been talking about this. This is the locker up of 2020. Yes. Uh, and I think that's going to stick around, right? I, I would think because it also gives, it makes it harder for the Democrats in the center to fight against um, the squad because right, they need to be defended because they, yeah, they're, right, being, they're, they're part being attacked. Of, they're part of your tribe, even though if you're not happy with what they're doing right. within your tribe, they're part they're of your tribe and, you, and they're under attack. Um, and that is exactly, what you, as you said, that's what Trump wants. Yeah, so I he's, think that he's gonna he's gonna do all that he can to make the squad the Democrats and try what do you, what do you to, think, as he said, what do you marry think Republicans them. are gonna do though? I mean, as as this starts to play out, it'll depend on how it plays. It'll depend how it plays out. It'll depend if the Republicans are willing to stand up at, after the next rally. You know, I mean, when the next rally comes and the center back chant will begin, if President Trump does not put his hands up and say, you have to stop that, I don't like that. If he says that and says, you're not allowed to say that, it's inappropriate, that'd be interesting to see. But if he doesn't, and if he sort of just goes along with it and he steps back, I mean, he's Barnum, I mean, he's Barnum and Bailey, man, and he's he's the, he's the a real showman, um, and he steps back and lets that chant overtake the room, well, then that's just, uh, then the Republicans have a real problem on their hands on how they're going to handle yeah, it. Yeah, my, my guess is that what we'll see is that this chant will continue. Uh, the president's job approval rating will not move and it won't impact significantly at this point his reelection prospects. And so I think Republicans will then shrug their shoulders and kind of hide from it because they can't win without if you know if they're up yeah, for re-election without them they can't they win can't, without them at the top no. of the ticket well now it's time for our hot take segment where we will have 90 seconds to discuss a bunch of different topics now when you hear this drum it's time for us to wrap it up so first up robert Mueller is set to testify on wednesday patrick what do you expect um, I expect that the Democrats will try to ask as many questions as collusion, um, and the questions will be in the form of grandstanding. Uh, the Republicans will ask as many questions in the form of there's no collusion, and those questions will take the form of grandstanding. Uh, and Robert Mueller will try to, in there, try to get, get his point across, which is the main issue that we found is that we're under attack from Russia. 
and everybody's ignoring this. Well, I actually don't agree with you. I think the Democrats are not going to let this opportunity just slide through their fingers and grandstand. I, my, what my instinct was, was that they're simply going to ask him to read different parts of of the report. They're going to say, please open to page 221, paragraph two, and read the next two paragraphs. And that, that, that's that been my instinct all along. Um, and then Jared Nadler, I think it was Sunday on Fox News, um, uh, Wallace's show said that that's what they were going to do. And I was like, yeah, that's what I would do if I were in that situation. Just even, you know, if we think back to how Robert Mueller, during his press conference, how just the slightest sentence of his was being held up about talking about how if he, if we did not have enough to do it, but if we had said that he was not guilty, we would have said so, right? Yeah. And just that one little sentence became this centerpiece. That's what I I think they're going to focus on. Yeah, but, yeah, but I, I think don't, the Democrats are going to keep yeah, but ask, the they're going to ask two minute long, three minute long questions. Any that, Democrat that comes out and asks two to three minute long questions right. and grandstands, they're done as far as I'm concerned. It's too important. It's not time to get reelected. It's time to save. Well, the by the time people are listening to this, we'll know that we'll know who was right. All right. Uh, you sent me this piece about Elizabeth Warren in The Atlantic, uh, and it was all about her, her unique ability to build a movement in the Democratic Party. So you think that's true? I think it's possible. I, I think that um, she's really taken the mantle of the Bernie Elizabeth corner. And, you know, if you combine those two numbers, it, it'll come out to 38% or so, 36, 38%. If Elizabeth Warren, if Bernie Sanders sort of says, you know what, this isn't my year, it's not going to work, and I put all my energy and effort behind Elizabeth Warren, whether it's after Iowa, after New Hampshire, or wherever it is, she's going to have that lane, I believe, all to herself. Um, and if she does have that lane, she could be very dangerous in terms of dangerous is not the word I want to use. It could be very successful in in getting to get the nomination. She's a wonderful communicator. I, she, she really knows I how think to she communicate has to Democrats. The, the point about her building a movement that are called the Warren Democrats mm-hmm. is uh, her organizational skill as well. So and know, her, Bernie and, Sanders and her has a, Bernie Sanders has this charisma. He's he's got all these these. Um, young folks and others around him, but they don't know how to kind of operate the, the, the levers of, of power. And she does. So yes, she, she does. understands how to build this into a sustainable movement. She also has a, an ability to stir the souls of Democrats. You know, Democrats look at what she's saying that's and a, they say, that's yes. That's a little overboard. No, I no, think. it's yeah. not. I don't think yeah. it's overboard. I think that I think that she has, I'm not talking about all Democrats. I'm not talking about the entire Democratic Party. But, you know, if you look at Joe Biden, the, the excitement about Biden has to do with what he would do in the presidential race, hopefully against yeah. President Trump, right? That's, that's what stirs... Democrats about him. What stirs Democrats, it seems, about Warren is her policies. They like her policies and they like her, which is a big deal. All right. Now, you sent me this article from David Byler of the Washington Post on how the parties might improve their primary system by following the example of the Bachelorette. Go. I Yes. Can we learn something from the Bachelorette? Uh, this might be it. This might be the only thing that we can learn from the ba- Bachelorette. Now, I know David Byler. I know him well. He's, he's a very good data analyst. I don't know what he's doing watching the Bachelorette, but his point is... That he likes the show. He likes the show. No, I, that, I remember that, when I first started out on that show years and years ago, I kind of liked it. And then yeah. I was like, this is gross. Sorry, keep going. But his point was that a Trump figure can't rise to the end, can't last to the end in the bachelorette because of the way that system is set up. And maybe our party's primary system should be set up the same way. And he's using, there's some guy on the show now called Luke 
um, who I think just recently got kicked out. And uh, but he was a Trump like figure. But I think the thing that he's missing, Byler's missing, is that 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 the Bachelorette resets every week. Yeah. It's not like you, you don't build delegates that you hold on to and never lose yes, as you right. go through. And that's the difference between that and a primary system is that if we could say, okay, we're going to have the New Hampshire primary and whoever survives that then gets to go on to the next primary, but your points are all reset to zero. You don't get any delegates out of that. You just get to go on. Yeah, then that system, that might be different. Uh, it's an interesting article. Interesting. And what was interesting about the article was the idea that there were 55% of Republicans who wanted somebody other than Donald Trump. But there were, to me, what was interesting right. is there were too many candidates on the Republican side who stayed in too long so that it made it so that Trump was able to consolidate his power. Right. And, and, and the thing was, the is if by the time you got down to Trump and Cruz and John Kasich, if right. you had been able to wipe out their delicate slate and right. say, okay, exactly. the three of and you are now said, starting from scratch, it would have been a different race. It would have been a different race. All right. Uh, the next one. Um, you saw this uh, news about yes. the San Francisco school board, right? Yeah, Voting yeah, to yeah. paint over a mural of George Washington um, as a slaveholder. Yeah. Uh, so what do you think of that? I think it's very troubling. And uh, partially because of my connection to uh, General George Washington, I, I think that it's not the wisest choice. Um, you have Democrats I, I, coming out against this. Yeah, you, but you also have the San Francisco board who voted unanimously to do it. I, I, I think it's very, it's very troubling to me. But however, I do see their point of view about uh, those two specific panels, right? Okay, so the one, one panel is, right, George Washington le- telling the pioneers, go west and explore this country, and there's a, a dead na- Native American lying that's right. in front of them. And, but that, and was a, one... that was a political comment. It wasn't like it was like, hurrah, we've, right. we've uh, conquered indeed. the Native Americans. This, I would, was, I would, this was done I, as a political comment that I would George Washington wasn't that, pure. But if it makes people feel uncomfortable who are Native American, who are in that school system, I can understand their point of view about that. Also about the slavery, even though was a comment on how bad slavery was i can also understand that cover those panels this is they're going to spend six hundred thousand dollars covering that up i don't understand why it would cost that much. destroying a historical piece of art i think it's i think it's too far and i believe it was the principal who said this is reparations we can do reparations Reparations. that's That's what he said ridiculous ridiculous i i understand and i disagree with him i also understand the point of view that they're coming from but there should be one of the things that we're going to talk about is is how do we find a middle ground in this world it's so challenging how do we find a difference between send her back which is overtly racist in my opinion and this which may be overly politically correct there there yeah. has to be a middle place where people can stand and right. not drown time's up let's move on to the okay next so one. then there was the scene in the white house last week where president trump was talking to nadia murad the iraqi refugee and he got a lot of blowback about her seeming indifferent his seeming indifference to her well you remember what happened here this so there was a there was a bunch of of, of foreign uh, representatives representing refugee communities from around the world who met which i was surprised he even had in, in, the, the, in the Oval office and so he's sitting at the desk and they're all standing around him and he's she's introduced him now she won the nobel prize uh, a year or two ago go and uh for her work as uh with a refugee community and she survived uh you know some horrible rape and and all sorts of other things and her whole family was killed i think what was most interesting to me about that was her describing the horrors of her life and him sort of sitting there there was this odd moment where he's sort of like yeah well you know that's what happens when you try to leave your country and you're a refugee i mean that's what it seemed to me he had no sense of empathy there was not a moment where he turned to her and said i'm sorry for your pain 
But this is where I, I, I'm going to get on the media with their coverage of this. Okay. Because one, that's Donald Trump. That's just how he reacts to anybody in any situation. So this yes, doesn't but it's to be unacceptable. An, but it, okay, it's unacceptable. But he is who he is. So how many and times are you going to call somebody out for for being who they are? To show an example of a human being having so little empathy for another human being gives an gives an eye into their soul, into right. the kind of person okay. they are. You can but my, say my point is yeah that, that that's the, who he is. That and the we media know that's is overblowing this. I disagree right? firmly because I firmly disagree. With part you of it this. is also is is the, the question that they ask: Where are they now when she's describing yes. her family? But look look at the whole video. This is the problem that I have with the media's coverage of this. Look at the whole video. She was talking about a bunch of refugees who had moved, I, I think, into Germany or some, someplace else. And then she said her family, and he jumped in with, where are they now? Yes, but it he was, was about referring, his family. No, no, no he was referring to the, look, if you listen to it, he wasn't listening closely to her. And it Okay, was, fine. It was so the then refugees. he wasn't listening, so fine. But what my he point is, is not about your him, point it's is about not, the media. It's I don't about know, the it's, not, it's not about the media They coverage. made too much about something that they was normal. They did not make too much about it. It is him. It is showing. So he's not listening carefully. So, okay, he didn't listen carefully. So we should give him a pass on it. I disagree firmly. Right. I th- I think it doesn't help us to to things that Trump does all the time. All right. Well, anyway, uh, let's end with um, uh, North Carolina. So we talked a lot about the issues around what happened in the North Carolina uh, appearance. But what about his performance? What, okay. So how is it? How are his performance skills? There? Okay. So here's here's what I found fascinating about it. I was looking for a clip to show like the magic of Trump uh, because I'm always amazed by his, as I, we talked about earlier in the episode about his showmanship, his Barnum and Bailey. However, something's going on with the president. He is not performing at the same level of excitement and joy typically that we would see. Uh, it almost looked like he was, there was nary a smile or a, a, a happy moment for the president during this whole during the whole speech. And that's something very different from him, for him. He, he enjoys that. I mean, it's clear that this is him, you know, as a, as an actor for Mm -hmm. myself, the difference between being on stage and being in front of a camera on camera is a better job because it it pays better. And it also gets to a wider audience. However, there's nothing quite like being in front of an audience where you're holding them captive and you're expressing something. President Trump, the reason he was so successful in 2016 was his ability in front of audiences to be so magnetic, to be so charismatic. So you don't think he showed ace. joy I in think, front of this I audience? I think that he, there's something on the man's mind, whether it's Robert Mueller on Wednesday or, or all of the troubles that he has as being the president. I mean, being the president of the United States is a, is a very challenging job. I saw a guy who was not having fun on that stage. I saw a guy who was almost going through the motions with it and not enjoying it, even during the center her back segment that was the one moment where he almost looked happy um but yeah it didn't quite he didn't quite um no he didn't he didn't quite enjoy that moment it was not an enjoyable experience for him on that stage he's got to he's got to get his mojo back i guess yeah well he'll he'll find his mojo as long as he's not knocked out from his knees on wednesday um okay so now we're going to turn to our guardian of the week someone who's looked beyond their short-term political interests to uphold the values of the republic Patrick, did you find someone this week who fits that description? I think I found someone, and, and this could be a controversial pick, but I'm going to nominate Liana Wen. Uh, she is uh, just was ousted or resigned, depending on whose uh, point of view. She you was take. ousted. Yeah, she from, was ousted. from Planned Parenthood. So she had served, uh, she followed Cecile Richards, who had been a longtime leader there. She was the first doctor to lead 
Planned Parenthood. And she has a public health background. And so what she wanted to do in Planned Parenthood, and this is the reason why I nominated her, because mm-hmm. looking past short-term political interests to uphold the values, is that she wanted to recast abortion as a, a health care issue that Planned right. Parenthood, which is one of the many things that Planned Parenthood did. And she ran into a lot of opposition internally because Planned Parenthood has long been staffed by folks who see their job as political advocacy. Now, obviously, in any healthcare, there's got to be political advocacy. But she wanted to take that out of the political realm. She wanted to depoliticize abortion. She was, you know, she was absolutely for uh, reproductive rights, but she wanted to make sure that that it was now taken out of the political world. And this this was one of those things where he was trying to say, this is being used to divide us. This yeah, issue and, is being used to but, divide but us also, as a country. But also, if you think about if you think about from Planned Parenthood's perspective, it's very similar to what's going on with the Squad, where they're under attack. They've right. been under attack for decades now, um, and so if I can also understand from Planned Parenthood's perspective, talking about yeah, you're you're ignoring it. And so here was something from her op-ed in the Washington Post. There's two little paragraphs that I want to read. Um, which I thought were, was quite beautiful. And again, I understand where Planned Parenthood is coming from and why they're not ready to do that. But what, what she says in this op-ed was interesting to me. Can we put aside partisan differences to do what is best for the people we serve? Will the conversation continue to be dominated by a vocal minority from both ends of the spectrum? Or can there be space for those of us in the middle to come together around shared values? I hope so. We need to stop treating those whose views differ from our own with scorn and suspicion and instead work together to safeguard our health, our rights, and our future. That, to me, is where the nation is... Where, where we're deeply lacking. So I, I, I understand your nomination. Yeah, and she might be naive, and she might not be naive about the, politi- the, the world as it is today. She might have been naive about Planned Parenthood's internal culture when she walked into it. Mm-hmm. But the, the point that she puts forward here is one that if we could follow that example and take this one issue out of the political world. It's what President and General George Washington would hope for. Yep. There's no question about it. It's the it's the basis of how this republic has stood for so long. And as this fabric is ripping right now, we've got to find our way back to it. So, But that's our edition this week of Guardians of the Republic. Make sure to subscribe to get the latest episodes. And please give us a rating in your favorite podcast app so others can find us. Check us out on our website. That's guardians-republic.com or on Twitter at guardiansotr. And thank you for joining us. We'll be back with a new episode next week. See ya.